0: It's Tuesday, September 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is the Daily Dive. The story of Gabby Petito has been getting national attention and had some new developments in the last few days. On Sunday, the FBI found a body that resembled Petito's description, and on Monday, they searched the family home of her fiance, Brian Laundrie, who has gone missing. Many questions still remain, and Laundrie has yet to be named an official suspect. Hannah Knowles, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for more. Next, starting in November, the U.S. will ease restrictions for international travelers who are vaccinated against COVID-19. They will have to show proof of vaccination and a negative test within three days of departure. There are also new rules for unvaccinated U.S. citizens who will need to have a negative test one day before departure and another test after returning. Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC, joins us for the latest travel changes. Finally, love in the time of COVID has been a difficult one. For single people, many relationships started quickly and passionately and also ended just as fast during the pandemic. Finding someone during a time of loneliness made them hold on tighter, but once the vaccines came along, a lot of relationships fell apart since you didn't have to lay low anymore. Diana Speckler, contributor to The Guardian, joins us for COVID-era romances. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: I have really bad OCD, and okay. I just—I was just cleaning when he's up the back of the van before and I was apologizing to him and saying, "I'm sorry that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and sometimes I can get
0: really frustrated." Joining us now is Hannah Knowles, reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Hi. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Gabby Petito story. I mean, it's gained a national attention for just kind of all the twists and turns over the weekend. We had uh, uh, some, another big update. The FBI says that Gabby's body may have been found. They're still got to do some tests and make sure it's her, but all signs point to that it probably is. She was found in the area where she had gone missing in uh, the Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. On Monday, the FBI searched the family home of her fiance, Brian Laundrie, who she was out on a trip with. And uh returned without her. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So Hannah, help us walk through some of this. What's the latest?
1: Yeah, I mean, the latest is just what you said, that there really are still a lot of questions about what happened here and obviously the big mystery and what I think has Captured so many people's attention is the fact that the fiance, Brian Laundrie, would come back and just not say anything to police about what happened as he gets back alone from this cross-country trip with Gabby Petito. And so the latest is they are still um, looking for him. Um, We don't know too much about this search that was conducted at the house on Monday. So I think we're just waiting to the, the next thing really that we're expecting is the autopsy on Tuesday and some confirmation about the identity of the body that was found.
0: Now, has the FBI said anything about the search for Gabby's body at all and how they might have been led to there? Because they, they'd been searching for some time now already. It's just, were they led there? Or do we know anything about the conditions of that search?
1: We do not know much. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of speculation out there, but they have said almost nothing at all. And they said they want to protect their case and any potential prosecution.
0: Now, as I mentioned, this uh, story obviously has you know huge national interest. It's it's been all over the place. It's kind of one of those stories that's perfect for digital detectives, right? People at home just to kind of follow along with the story and look for clues. Give us a little backstory on Gabby Petito and her fiancé Brian Laundry, because as I mentioned, they were on a trip of national parks in the American West. They were very active on social media. Hashtag van life is what they were posting out there. So there's a lot of uh, kind of evidence of them moving around.
1: That is another reason that it's gained so much attention. They did document their trip. And you look at the photos on Instagram, and it looks like they were having a great time. But then, obviously, after she goes missing... We start to learn more about what was going on between them, and police have released some, like, body camera footage of a traffic stop during this trip where um, someone reported that they had been fighting, and Gabby is just, like, crying throughout this encounter with police, and they actually tell the couple to separate, at least temporarily, and, you know, think hopefully that'll kind of resolve things. And then, you know, next thing we know, later on, a few weeks later, Gabby is missing.
0: Yeah. And that's the interesting thing, too. You know, the couple began their road trip in June and it was about late August, uh, mid-August when the cops came across with them. And at the time they had even even said something about a scuffle between them. But they both desperately said they didn't want anybody anybody to be charged. And the cops said, you know, they didn't think it was a domestic assault or anything like that. They chalked it up to a mental health crisis, you know, was evidenced, as you mentioned, by Gabby just crying a lot, not being able to compose herself.
1: I think what police heard, at least, was that Gabby had slapped her fiance. Yeah, it seemed like a situation where police felt like, OK, they just need to kind of go cool down. So clearly it didn't, you know, send a, a huge red flag out when they were talked to at this traffic stop.
0: And as you mentioned, you know, all the kind of details and how this has been developing and and the red flags. Right. So a lot of their posts ended in late August. Gabby Petito's family said that they she was constantly in contact with them. And in late August, she stopped talking to them. So they became pretty concerned. And then Brian Laundrie, he heads home to their home in Florida. He shows up in the van without her, refuses to talk to police or to the family. So, you know, everybody's kind of pointing the finger a little bit at him. And and now he's gone missing as well.
1: Yeah. And he is still only considered a person of interest. There's no like warrant out for his arrest and any sort of crime. It's very ambiguous
0: at this point. Hannah Knowles, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you. The travel industry, people with, you know, families, maybe in another country that they haven't seen in a long time, have been clamoring for months. I mean, even since last year, for some rules to be put in place, either a testing regime and now what we have is a uh, you have to have a proof of vaccination if you're foreign to come into the United
0: States to visit. Joining us now is Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Have some changes coming to the way things are being done. The U.S. is going to be easing travel restrictions for international visitors who are vaccinated against COVID-19. These changes are going to be coming in November. There's also a few changes with regards to citizens that are trying to come back to the United States as well. So, Leslie, walk us through this. What are we going to see?
2: So some of the biggest changes, if we uh, rewind to the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, the U.S. government, the Trump administration at that time, had started these pretty broad travel restrictions on non-U.S. citizens who have recently been in Europe, in the U.K., in China. Other countries were later added, South Africa, India, Brazil. So this was a complete strain on the tourism industry, airlines were of course ailing just from the pandemic in general, but losing this very lucrative stream of travelers um, was a pretty big deal. And um, if you remember in March, 2020, I mean, everything was happening so fast and the the idea was to stop the spread of this disease we knew so little about. What we're seeing today is the Biden administration is finally lifting these travel restrictions for vaccinated travelers, non-citizens coming from those countries. That's a huge deal. The the travel industry, people with, you know, families, uh, maybe in another country that they haven't seen in a long time, have been clamoring for for months. I mean, even since last year, for some rules to be put in place, either a testing regime. And now what we have is a uh, you have to have a proof of vaccination if you're foreign to come into the United States
0: to visit. On the question about the vaccines, because here in the United Mm -hmm. States, we have Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson approved Obviously, other countries have different vaccines approved. Does it matter what vaccine they have or is just as long as they've been vaccinated?
2: We're still waiting for uh, some of the particulars from the CDC, and they will be saying which vaccines will be acceptable. I imagine it will be somewhat broad because the vaccine availability, the type of vaccines, and just overall availability varies country by country. Those are some rules that we're waiting to see. And also, what does it mean for children? I mean, what are you going to leave your kid at home when you're coming to the U.S. to visit your family? (laughs) And what we've heard from one of our sources is that the administration is going to have a few, very few, they emphasize this, uh, exceptions to the rule. And children appear who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated appear to be uh, one of those groups. But for boarding a plane to the United States, in addition to your passport and any other documentation you have to show, it's going to be your vaccine card as well if you're uh, foreign and coming back to the U.S. There are some changes also for U.S. citizens who are coming home. And if you remember earlier in the last winter, the U.S. started requiring people to show a negative COVID test, including U.S. citizens, to return home from a trip abroad. So that is still in place. You're going to have to show, you know, three days of a test taken with a negative result within three days of your departure to the United States. But for U.S. citizens who are not fully vaccinated, you have to show a test within one day of your departure to the U.S. And you're going to have to show proof of purchase for another COVID test once you've arrived in the United States. There's going to be contact tracing. The administration is going to require airlines to provide data to the CDC, email addresses, physical addresses, phone numbers, so that they can do some sort of contact tracing with passengers.
0: Within uh, just a little bit of the White House announcing this, uh, it did make an impact on the markets for some airlines. And then beyond that, too, I mean, you know, we're hoping that this would affect holiday travel, holiday bookings. How has the summer looked so far for airlines?
2: What we've missed so far of the summer is a lot of the international travel that has been pretty dormant since the pandemic began. The EU or several nations within the EU um, and also the UK have loosened travel restrictions for visitors from the U.S. So we saw a lot of airlines add capacity to places like Italy and Greece. Iceland it did come with some rules you know you had to show proof of vaccination or a covid negative covid test or a combination of both but the EU was starting to open up to US travelers but we didn't reciprocate so there was some signs of life I guess if you will for uh, travel abroad to Europe Mexico has been open the whole time the Caribbean has largely been open the whole time several countries in South America are still pretty much closed to a lot of US visitors but that is starting to change but it was a pretty strong summer for domestic travel, and and you know what's open is, is like places within the U.S. and airlines used their biggest planes. They started you know sending them on domestic routes since they weren't going to Asia and Europe and did things like that. But with the arrival of the Delta variant, we've seen pretty much every airline has said that they had an impact in late summer, kind of exacerbating the impact that they would normally have when kids go back to school. You should see an you know a pickup in business travel and that really hasn't materialized to the level that airlines want or need at this point. But this is a a very, very welcome change because it it could have an impact not only on vacations and reuniting families, which is, of course, a great thing if you've been missing your relatives and your (laughs) friends and family and loved ones. But business travel can restart. And those are very lucrative trips.
0: Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you.
3: And i don't know if it's necessarily that i want to reminisce about the good times but it was a pretty dark time and you know i felt that throughout the pandemic that was who i was most regularly commiserating with because we were spending all our time together
0: joining us now is diana speckler contributor to the guardian thanks for joining us diana thank you for having me wanted to talk about romance during the covid area We've been hearing a lot about it and what's going on. A lot of people coupling together very quickly and just kind of bearing down (laughs) during a lot of the lockdowns and whatnot. But Diana, you spoke to a few people just kind of to get the sense of what happened. And in a lot of cases, these romances that developed during the COVID times were very passionate, very quick to start. And then they ended just as quickly, in a lot of cases, right after people started getting vaccinated and things are starting to open up. So, uh, Diana, help us walk through some of this. What were you seeing out there?
3: I guess it's, in my opinion, sort of the unsung love story of the era, because I think that there's been a lot of attention paid to how COVID has affected marriages. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it seemed like Things were not going well. And then later in the pandemic, it said, oh, maybe things are going well. And, and those seemed to be the stories that I was seeing over and over again. And a lot of think pieces on that front. And I think everybody just kind of assumed if they weren't single, that single people were just hanging out by themselves. But in fact, the dating apps were getting more play than ever. There was a huge uptick and people were dating but people didn't want to date multiple people because it was unsafe and i think for a lot of reasons it was appealing to many people to just hunker down in a monogamous relationship and so people rushed in and things got serious very quickly bars restaurants cafes those things were all closed so things became intimate very fast dates at home, meeting people's families right away because you would just join the pod, things like that. Yeah. So it would go from maybe like a first or second date to like, now we kind of live together.
0: Right, and you know, I'm lifting a line from your article. Uh, I, I just think it, it kind of makes sense so much. Many singles scrambled to find a seat and when they did, they just sat there. You know, you found something, <laughs> something that you really could hold, hold on to and then boom, I'm not letting this go because it's working for me right now. And a lot of the whatever you can call maybe traditional rules of dating, unspoken rules of dating kind of go out the window when things are like this. You know, you don't have that time to go out to the bars and restaurants and get to know somebody. You know, if it clicks right away, a lot of people just kept it. That's
3: right. And I think there is something beautiful about that, too, because a lot of the sort of rules that you learn as somebody on the dating scene are kind of gamey, kind of manipulative. and For those to go out the window isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, Don't get physical right away or don't call him until he calls you. Don't text back too quickly. Those kinds of things. I think those were just sort of non-issues.
0: What happened after the vaccine started happening? What happened after these relationships started getting vaccinated? Because you mentioned at least two or three of them, right away things changed. They felt like they wanted to be free. They didn't have to be shackled up anymore.
3: I think actually they followed the trajectory of any relationship, but just had outside influences or had other factors affecting them. So you know, for one of my subjects, for example, who has historically had issues with intimacy and closeness, those started cropping up for him more than ever because his relationship had gotten so serious so quickly. So that was one example. Um, another one of my subjects. Her partner, her COVID boyfriend, had donated a kidney early in the pandemic. And so he was being super, super careful because he was immunocompromised. And so their relationship was very insular. And then as soon as he got vaccinated, it was like party time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was actually a funny one because uh, he had ghosted that girl at the very beginning. And when he finally reconnected, he's like, well, I was giving a kidney to my sister. And she made him show him the scar just to kind of prove it. So that was a funny example there. But, you know, and and along with this whole thing, too, right, is uh, some of the bad habits or bad attitudes, things also you couldn't notice with maybe the more traditional dating pattern. You profiled a, a couple who. Once things started happening out in public, he was a little more moody, socially anxious. And because those things weren't happening during pandemic and lockdowns, she didn't get to see that.
3: So that was my subject, Samantha, who had such an intense COVID romance. The guy actually moved in with her, you know, and got a new job in her city and totally left his life to be with her. And it's interesting because he has had severe social anxiety probably many, many years, but she had no way of knowing that because it was just the two of them in a house for so long. Right. So as soon as they got vaccinated, she's very extroverted and social and was excited to go out and connect with people and live life again. And he said, you know, this just isn't of interest to me. So and he left her.
0: One last thing I want to mention on all of these uh, COVID romances is is you also had a COVID romance that you said ended within two months of vaccination. But one of the things that you made a point in the article, which I thought it makes total sense, is you spent a lot of time with this person throughout pandemic, lockdowns, all of that, and you maybe joined their pods, their friend groups. But when the relationship over now, you kind of don't have anybody to go and remember, you know, some of those good times with because that person is gone now. That's just an interesting aside to all this.
3: And I don't know if it's necessarily that I want to reminisce about the good times, but it was a pretty dark time. And, you know, I felt that throughout the pandemic, that was who I was most regularly commiserating with because we were spending all our time together. And now I don't know him or the people in his life anymore. And it's just really interesting to think that this era of our lives, sort of darkest time in history, for me, there's there's the only people I can talk about it with are people who weren't with me. There's a little bit of a loss in that, I guess.
0: Diana Speckler contributor to The Guardian. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me. It was fun.